I don't know about you, but uh, I hate to wait, uh, whether it's at a stoplight that hasn't turned green or waiting for the computer to restart or waiting at the checkout at Walmart. You know, I'm, I'm always watching to see if other lines are, are going faster and then I'm getting frustrated if they are. I mean, what, what is up with that? Just recently, our television cable carrier disabled the fast-forward function when watching on-demand television shows. It drives me nuts that we have to sit there and watch the commercials. You know, we, we don't wait very well, do we? Most of us struggle when we, when we have to wait for something. Now, all the things that I just mentioned are fairly trivial, but what about the, when the stakes are higher? What about when we're in a season of waiting for something significant to happen in our lives, months, even even years, where what we long for is not happening. We're not where we want to be, and, and there is no clear path out. We, we are waiting, waiting for our spouse to get a clue, waiting for a job promotion, wait, waiting to meet that special someone, waiting to finally get pregnant, waiting for a loved one's physical condition to improve. None of us like to be in the waiting room when it comes to life. But here's an important thing for us to realize. God can use these seasons of waiting to shape us and mold us into the people that he wants us to be. We are in the midst of a teaching series on the life of Joseph. Today we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 40, where Joseph is in a significant season of of waiting. He is in a situation he does not want to be in. He had been stripped of everything and sold into slavery by his brothers. Then in Egypt, he is is bought by a guy named Potiphar. And Joseph becomes a menial servant in Potiphar's house. But God was with him. Joseph was promoted to the highest position in Potiphar's house until Joseph was falsely accused of rape by Potiphar's wife. And so he gets thrown into prison, even though the charges were false. But God was with Joseph in prison, and he ends up being promoted there as well, being entrusted with the responsibility for all that happened in in the prison. Well, that leads us to Genesis 40, verse 1, and I want us to look at the first three words, sometime later, sometime later. You know, we easily skip over these words, but we dare not do so, or we will lose sight of what's really going on here. I mean, here's the situation. We know from a later chapter that at this point in the story, Joseph is 28 years old. 28 years old. Do the math. I mean, he has been in this place of waiting, first in Potiphar's house and now in prison for 11 years. His 20s are nearly over. No wife, no kids, no family, no freedom. 11 years. I mean, think about how old you were 11 years ago and all that has elapsed since that time. 11 years is a long time to be in a waiting room. But that's where Joseph is. 11 years of waiting and he doesn't know if or when it will end. But here's the deal. God is at work in Joseph's life in this season of waiting. He is shaping him into the man that God wants him to be. And and, and God can be doing that in our lives as well. Depending on how we respond in these seasons of waiting. There are four significant things Joseph does while in this season of waiting. Four things that can help us grow in the midst of our seasons of waiting. First thing, serve others. 
serve others. This is the last thing we, we usually focus on when we're in a season of waiting, when things are not going the way we want. Our instinctive response in these times is self-centeredness, focusing on ourselves, our situation, what others have done to us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Joseph has a different response. Look with me beginning in verse 1 of Genesis 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. So these two officials under Pharaoh, the cupbearer, and the chief baker are thrown in prison. These positions were, were fairly significant in that day. I mean, the cupbearer made sure that, that wines um, were of top quality and not poisoned. Um, risky job, but, you know, we could think of worse positions, I guess. That The chief baker oversaw all the food that Pharaoh ate. And so for whatever reason, these guys had offended Pharaoh in a big way, and they were thrown in prison. And, and, and were assigned to be under Joseph's care. Now, here's an interesting side note. Notice who assigned these two prisoners to Joseph. The captain of the guard. Does that sound familiar? If you were here last week, you know. I mean, who is the captain of the guard? Potiphar. Potiphar is the one giving Joseph these responsibilities in prison. So apparently Potiphar knew in his heart Joseph didn't do what his wife accused him of, but he couldn't really side with the slave instead of his wife. I mean, talk about a long time in the doghouse, right? So he threw Joseph in prison, but he continued to admire and respect him. Verse 4, after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? Here's Joseph stuck in a decade-long waiting room, missing all that he could be doing in his 20s, no hope in sight for release, and he's, he's making rounds like every other morning. Most other prisoners are focused on their own plight and their own despair, but not Joseph. The text tells us that Joseph saw that they were dejected and he asked them, why are you so sad? He is choosing to focus on others rather than himself. So often in our seasons of waiting, we are only focused on ourselves, our our needs, our situation, what others have done to us. That kind of self-focus is a downward spiral and it doesn't reflect God's heart. I mean, think of how Jesus described his mission in Mark 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amazing. Jesus, the King of the universe, the exalted Son of God, when he came to earth, he came as a servant. And earlier in that same passage, he says to us, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. That's his heart. That's that's his charge to us as his followers. Our life mission is to serve others. Some of us who are in seasons of waiting, and, and some of us are in seasons of waiting, and our whole focus is on me. What can I 
do to benefit my situation? How can I orchestrate things for my benefit? And God wants us to start, start taking our eyes off of ourselves and instead start focusing, focusing on others. How can I serve others? Now, one easy way to do this is what Joseph did. He, he asked them a question. He took an interest in them. Joseph asked, why do you look so sad today? So they explained why. We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Okay, again, we see Joseph in a, in a posture of serving. He believes that God can provide the interpretation of their dreams. And since he has a relationship with God, he invites them to share their dreams with him. These guys don't know his God. They are pagans, and yet Joseph is willing to bring the resources he has to provide what they need. And what's fascinating here is to notice how different this response is than 11 years ago when Joseph had his dreams. Right When that happened back then, he was only focused on himself, rubbing his brother's faces in the fact that one day they would be bowing down to him. Quite a transformation has occurred. Now Joseph is focused on others rather than himself. Now I want to stop here just for a moment and talk about dreams. Does God still communicate using dreams? You know, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit has just been poured out upon the church, Peter declares, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Many people in the Bible had God speak to them through dreams. Joseph, Jesus' dad, was warned in a dream to flee to Egypt, and it saved Jesus' life. The Magi heard from God in a dream. You know, just before the the super depressing bowl last Sunday, I read about the Seattle Seahawks quarterback, Russell Williams, who is a very strong believer. And in a video entitled The Making of a Champion, Wilson says, I was kind of a bad kid. I used to beat up kids and bite kids and do stuff all the time. Well, what changed? Well, he said, I had a dream that my dad passed away and that Jesus came into the room. He was knocking on my door saying, you need to find out more about me. So that Sunday morning, I ended up going to church, and that's when I got saved. I mean, now he uses his position to serve. He visits Seattle's Children's Hospital weekly. He tweets Bible verses regularly. God used a dream to get Russell's attention and to draw him into a relationship with God. As we continue to work in the Middle East, we often hear stories of Muslims coming to Christ through a dream or a vision of Jesus. While this is, is, not the, 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 the or, is not the most ordinary way God speaks to us, I do believe he can still and does speak through dreams. We're actually having a, a seminar here in late March where we're going to provide training on how to interpret dreams and visions. It's March 28th and 29th. It's a Friday night, Saturday morning. More details will be forthcoming about that. But I will say, if, if you believe God is speaking to you in a dream, write down the details of the dream um, when you wake up and then pray about it and ask some trusted folks around you to, to pray and offer input as well. It may simply be the pizza you had the night before, but it also could be God. Okay, so they tell Joseph their dream 
their dreams, and he provides an interpretation of the dreams, which leads to the second thing we learn from Joseph's example in terms of how to respond in a season of waiting, and that is to safeguard your integrity. Safeguard your integrity. It's very easy in a season of waiting to begin to cut corners in order to try to make something happen. We, we begin to compromise, to lower our standard, to do whatever it takes to get out of the situation, even if it means lying or being unethical or whatever. Times of waiting increase our temptation to cut corners. So let's look at what happens next. Verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream, and he said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. So this dream has a great interpretation, right? Which Joseph confidently gives. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. And the birds will eat away your flesh. Not exactly the interpretation he was wanting to hear. Now, what impresses me about Joseph's response is that he, he, he tells the truth. It would have been very tempting to try and put some positive spin on this. After all, this was an official of Pharaoh, and Joseph is trying to get out of, out of this, this prison. I mean, Joseph no doubt wants to, to leave a good impression on these guys, given their position and their influence. And so it would have been very easy to not tell the whole truth, to withhold some information. But Joseph refused to do that. He spoke the truth, even when it wasn't a popular thing to do, even when it didn't result in warm fuzzies and and hugs. Well, how about you and me? When we're in a season of waiting, when things are are not going the way we want, do we start cutting corners? Do do we say what other people want to hear in order to get that promotion or in order to manipulate situations in our favor? Do we withhold the truth from a customer in order to make that sale that will help us double our income that month? Seasons of waiting provide ample opportunity to compromise our integrity. But do we really want to go there? When we lose our integrity, when people don't trust what we say, What's left, relationally speaking? God wants us to safeguard our integrity, especially in times of waiting. No compromise. Well, the third thing that we learned from Joseph in terms of how to respond in the season of waiting is to sow seed when opportunities arise. Sow seed when opportunities arise. What do I mean by that? Well, look with me at verse 14. Joseph has just interpreted the dream of the cupbearer. It's good news, but he doesn't leave it at that. Look at what he says to the cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. 
Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. See, Joseph is sowing seed. He's not manipulating anyone. He's not forcing anything to happen. He's certainly not sacrificing his integrity. No, what he's doing is sowing into an opportunity that presents itself. Here is this official of Pharaoh who will soon be released and, 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 and who received help from Joseph. So Joseph seizes this moment and he asks this man to remember him when he gets out of prison. Mention me to Pharaoh. That was his request. See, this is wisdom in action. Sometimes in the midst of our waiting, we, we um, subconsciously, perhaps, we begin to adopt a posture of inactivity, of, of passivity, of doing nothing. We become passive about our circumstances. And, and, and I don't think that's a healthy approach. When there, is a, when there is a dream on our heart, when we long for something better, and yet we find ourselves in a waiting room, it's important that we continue to sow seeds of that vision into our circumstances, that we not give up hope, that we look for opportunities for potential doors to open. Who knows when God might be orchestrating something? By sowing seed into those moments, we may be allowing doors to open in the future, doors that wouldn't have opened otherwise. What happens in the story is that initially the cupbearer forgets all about Joseph. He doesn't say anything to Pharaoh. But then one night, Pharaoh has a dream, a dream that no one can interpret. And suddenly the cupbearer remembers Joseph. And everything changes for Joseph in that moment. Had he not sown that seed, who knows if the cupbearer would have remembered him. So waiting does not mean inactivity. We can be waiting in a season and yet also be sowing seed, looking for opportunities, having conversations, networking with people, gathering information, pursuing leads. My wife and I have been in a a season of waiting for 13 years as it relates to our our special needs son, Josh. He he is nonverbal and has been placed on the autism spectrum. We have tried diets and doctors and allergy treatments and surgeries, you name it. And, and we often find ourselves living in this tension between accepting our circumstances and trying whatever we can to help Joshua get better. Our decade-plus waiting room experience has, has, has been a time of incredible challenge and personal growth, but it has never been a time of passivity or inactivity. We continue to pray for healing. We continue to try new things to help him. See, the challenge is in somehow being okay in the waiting room, even when you're trying to get out of it. That's what Joseph is doing here. He's not moping around, passively sitting in his cell, counting the days and feeling sorry for himself. No, he's he's being active. He's serving others. He's safeguarding his integrity. He's sowing seed. Even though very little seems to be happening in terms of progress. Which raises the obvious question, how do we do this? I mean, really, when we're in a period of waiting, when circumstances are not what we want them to be, and we can't do anything to fix it, how do we do what Joseph did? How do we keep serving and maintaining our integrity and sowing seed? Well, there's an underlying answer that that weaves its way in and out of this story, and it provides the fourth element of our response in times of waiting, and that is to seek God, to earnestly seek God. God. 
Okay, so Joseph's interpretation happens just the way he said. The baker is impaled, the cupbearer is restored to his former position, but the last line of this chapter is quite telling. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. See, Joseph is forgotten for two full years. In addition to the 11 already, nothing happens. So how did Joseph continue in this season of waiting, 13 years of waiting? How did he do that? He sought God. He sought God. Now, we don't have a specific verse here where it says that Joseph earnestly sought God, but the evidence for this is woven throughout this passage. We saw last week how over and over again the author tells us that God was with Joseph. God's favor was upon him. When, when Potiphar's wife tries to get him to sleep with her, Joseph refuses by saying, how can I do such a thing and sin against God? See, there is a relationship with God that he's drawing from. Then in chapter 40, Joseph declares, do not interpretations belong to God? See, there, there is a confidence we see here that Joseph has a confidence in God, even in the waiting room. He is still confident that God is at work. And later in the next chapter, when Pharaoh needs his dream interpreted, Joseph responded, responds by saying, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. This kind of settled confidence comes from a relationship with God that is forged in difficult circumstances. This is not the response of a spoiled 17-year-old we saw in chapter 37. This is the response of someone who has walked with God in the waiting room. Someone whose trust in God has deepened even when circumstances have not gone his way. Waiting provides us a, a wonderful opportunity to seek God more earnestly, to lean into him, to run to him, to trust him. I mean, let's, let's be honest. When, when things are, are all going well, often our prayer life goes out the window, doesn't it? When things are going well, our prayer life goes out the window. We pray way more earnestly and intensely when we are in the midst of difficulty, when things are not going the way we want. Desperation has a way of deepening our dependence upon God, which means we are to never despise these seasons of waiting. Instead, we can embrace them as a growth opportunity. You know, we have a great example in Scripture of this response in waiting, this seeking God response. It's found in the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms give us this wonderful picture of, of, of seeking God in the midst of waiting. And what I love about the Psalms is that their response is not this sweet, sugary, inauthentic prayer to God about how wonderful life is. No, these Psalms describe a raw, frustrated, disillusioned waiting where God doesn't seem to be doing anything. But, but here's the key. Rather than running away from God in their frustration, the psalmists run to him in their frustration. They are brutally honest with God about how they're feeling. For example, listen to the words from, from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. 
But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouths of lions. I will declare your name to my people. There is brutal honesty here. Disappointment and sorrow and feeling abandoned by God. All the things we feel as well in times of waiting, right? We feel all these things. And yet notice what David does with that. He brings those things to God. He seeks God. He calls out to God and he declares his praise. In times of waiting, folks, we have a choice. We can, we can run away from God Ah, to heck with him. He doesn't seem to be doing anything anyway. Or we can run to God. We can seek him and bring to him all of our frustrations and disappointments and disillusionment, finding in him the hope and the strength that we need, that we are not forgotten. So how do we know? How do we know that this is really the case? How do we know we can run to God when we feel forgotten. Well, here's how. When Jesus hung on the cross for us, he felt forgotten, abandoned by God. He he was in the most painful waiting room we could imagine. And in that moment of excruciating pain, what did he do? He cried out from Psalm 22. My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? Even though Jesus felt forgotten, he wasn't forgotten. God had a plan, a plan that would defeat death and would enfold all of us who place our trust in Jesus. We see in Jesus that even the most excruciating waiting room is not the end of the story. God has a bigger plan. We can trust this amazing God of ours who was willing to endure all of that for us. We can trust him. Let's pray together. So as we quiet our heart here, let me, let me just ask, are, are you in a season of waiting Things are not turning out the way you want. Things are not happening as fast as you would like. Let's just take a moment and seek God in the midst of that. Bring to him your disappointment, your anger, your frustration. Offer yourself to him as an instrument for him to use and to mold into who he wants you to be. Let's just do that in the quiet of our heart. Run to him with all of this. Lord Jesus, we want to be a people who serve others, who maintain our integrity, who sow seed in the midst of our waiting. And so we look to you. Will you help us in our waiting room? Will you help us? Continue to mold us and shape us into the people you want us to be.
Jesus, right now we look to you as our Savior. You endured a horrible waiting room for us. Jesus, you paid for our sin on the cross. You are our hope and our life and our strength. So while every head is bowed here, let me, let me, just, let me just ask, have you received the gift that Jesus offers you? The gift of forgiveness and life forever with him. Have you received that? He died on the cross for you. If you've not received that, what, that gift, why not? Well, let me invite you to do so right now. I want to lead you in a prayer. And you can open your heart and receive Jesus right now. Just pray after me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I admit that I am separated from you because of my sin. But I don't want to be separated from you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross in my place. He died for me. And I choose to place my trust in you alone, Jesus. I open my heart to receive you. I ask you to forgive my sin, past, present, future. All of my sin, forgive my sin. And now come live in me through the presence of your spirit. Father, I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in their relationship with you. Thank you for that. Well, now we have the opportunity to celebrate the goodness of God to us. This relationship we have, that we have with him because of Jesus. We have the opportunity to celebrate that through the partaking of the Lord's Supper.